Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to investigate the Scriptures with us as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood against his first-century Palestinian environment. Jesus has ways of saying things. He has ways of thought, a mindset, an agenda which is thoroughly Jewish. And it really is the ruin of good Bible study to assume that we can understand Jesus if we don't have a concept of the Jewish ways in which he taught and preached. Jesus was not familiar with the philosophies of the Greeks. Plato was probably unknown to Jesus. He was not the least bit interested in Greek philosophy. And yet the church in the second century, after the death of the apostles, after the writing of the Bible was complete, departed into Greek ways of thinking, which have made it extremely difficult for modern Bible readers to relate to Jesus and his teaching with intelligence. An example of this is found in the popular teaching that heaven is the destination of the dying. Most Christians today believe that when they die, the very second that they close their eyes in the sleep of death, that they will be immediately conscious in heaven as a disembodied soul. Now imagine what it would be like not to have a body. Your brain is part of your body, so you'd have no brain. Your eyes and your ears are an essential part of your body, and if disembodied, you'd presumably have no eyes and no ears. It really is an incomprehensible notion to imagine yourself as a disembodied spirit or soul, a soul or spirit deprived of a body. Such an idea is absolutely alien to the Bible, and yet it's become part of the furniture of what we know as Orthodox Christianity. One has only to go to a funeral service to learn that the person involved is not really dead, but alive in another region. Do you know that Jesus did not teach such a thing? When he observed the death of his friend Lazarus, he stated unequivocally that Lazarus is asleep, asleep in death. He didn't say that Lazarus had gone home to heaven. He did not say that Lazarus had departed to some super-celestial region above the skies, to a place as a disembodied soul or spirit. No, he stated, as had the prophets before him, and as all the Bible writers had agreed unanimously, Jesus stated that the dead man, Lazarus, was asleep. He didn't say his body was asleep, but his soul had gone somewhere else. He merely stated that Lazarus, the person, the total person, body and soul, had departed to the place where all the dead go, namely Hades or Sheol, the place of the dead, gravedom, that great area of all the dead known in the Bible as Sheol in the Hebrew or Hades in the Greek language. Now, Jesus himself stated that when he died, he also would go for three days and three nights to Hades, the place where all the dead reside until they are ultimately resurrected to life. Jesus then testified to the fact that the condition of man upon death is sleep. Lazarus is sleeping, Jesus said in John 11, verse 11. But I'm going to wake him up. Now, to wake him up from the sleep of death was the standard biblical way of describing a man's recovery from the state of death. In the Bible, people really die. They don't just appear to die, but actually continue to survive. The notion that man has an immortal spark dwelling in him 
which must survive and go to heaven or hell at the moment of death is quite far into the Bible. It's untrue to the text of Scripture. The fact is that in the Bible there is no heaven for a place of disembodied souls now, and there is no subterranean hell burning and torturing the wicked. Such is pure mythology, and it was introduced into biblical teaching in post-biblical times. The notion of an immortal soul which must survive and therefore must exist in heaven or hell now, immediately at the point of death, is a pagan idea coming from Greek philosophical thinking. It was Plato who advocated the idea that man has by nature an immortal part of him, a conscious, separable, immortal soul which must go on living after he dies. In the Bible, resurrection is the only way out of death. God brings down to the grave, we read in First Samuel chapter 2, and he raises up from the grave. There's only one way to exit death, and that's via resurrection of the whole person. Listen to that great truth as spoken by Jesus directly. In John 5, verse 28, we read this, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all those who are in their tombs will hear the Son of Man's voice, and they will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Nothing then could be clearer than the fact that the only way out of death is via resurrection, and resurrection will occur for the Christians when Jesus returns in the future. No Christian has presently been resurrected, with the exception, of course, of Jesus. He is the only human being to have achieved immortality up to this point. All the rest have died, the faithful of all the ages have died, and are currently and presently resting in their graves. Daniel 12, verse 2 states it with absolute clarity and transparent simplicity. Many of those, we read in Daniel 12, 2, who are sleeping in the dust of the ground will arise in resurrection, some to the life of the age to come, that's to say life in the future kingdom of God on this earth. That's the biblical story of death and resurrection. If you're in any doubt about the simplicity of this scheme, we would invite you to request from us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program, or you can write to us or email us, if suitable, and request that we send you our free booklet entitled, What Happens When We Die? We'd like you to have this for your personal Bible study at home. We think you'll find it illuminating, and it will trace something of the history of the ideas about what happens when we die showing that they were altered radically in times beyond the Bible and describing in simple language how the original biblical view that man is a mortal being was changed under the influence of pagan Greek philosophy so that a new view of what happens when we die emerged in post-biblical times. And that new view, which was derived not from the Bible or the teaching of Jesus, but from pagan philosophy, has persisted throughout the centuries. Now, it's certainly true that many have objected to this intrusive pagan notion of souls surviving their bodies, but the majority has wanted to persist with this idea, even if it isn't biblical, and so they've found ways of convincing themselves that it is found in the Bible, but this can only be achieved by a rather unfortunate twisting 
of certain isolated passages and by almost entirely ignoring that massive testimony found in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. We must remember, of course, that Jesus was raised and reared on the Old Testament. That's 77% of our Bible. And in the Old Testament, there's absolutely no question about what happens when we die. Everybody, good and evil alike, disappear to the realm of the dead, which is not heaven or a burning hell, but Hades, the grave, and they wait there until the future resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.23 states with complete simplicity and clarity that Jesus is going to raise the dead when he comes back. Those who belong to Christ, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.23, will be raised from death at Christ's future coming. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. The problem here is that people sometimes prefer to believe what they want to believe rather than believing what is plainly the truth. Now, this is a feature of human nature that we must reckon with if we're going to understand how Christianity has moved away from its original base in the Bible. A parallel can be drawn here between a recent well-known world event and the public reaction to that great tragedy. One commentator says this, We have often pointed out that what people believe to be true is a more important factor in world affairs than what is actually true. In the case of the death of Princess Diana, it is what people want to believe to be true that has proved to be more powerful than the actual truth. In recent years, plenty of reliable evidence emerged to show that Princess Diana's image was a great deal more perfect than the reality, but the public did not want to know. They wanted their perfect Queen of Hearts, and they were going to have her, even if it meant overlooking inconvenient blemishes. End of quotation. Now, that observation has a strong parallel in the world of theology. People will tend to believe what they want to believe is true rather than the facts of the biblical documents. Nothing is more obvious than in this case of what happens when we die. People would prefer to believe that their dead and deceased relatives have moved to heaven and are now in conscious, glorious, disembodied souls. Although no one can give us a clear idea of what a disembodied life would be like, people prefer to believe this because they see it as more comforting than waiting for the resurrection. However, the Bible commands us to follow the teachings of Jesus, and Christians presumably are committed to teaching and believing what Jesus taught and believed. Jesus did not believe that souls had gone to heaven, and yet we choose as Christians to believe what is preferable from our angle. Now, that's a classic case of mounting our own ideas against the ideas revealed by God through his son, Jesus. Jesus stated that Lazarus was sleeping in the dust of the ground, was waiting in his tomb until the resurrection. John 11, verse 11, and John 5, verses 28 and 29. But notice again what the public did in relation to this recent tragedy of the death of Princess Diana. The public did not want to know too much about their idol. They wanted their perfect queen of hearts, and they were going to have her, even if it meant overlooking inconvenient blemishes. The fact that people base their actions not on what is actually true, but rather on what they believe is true, and also on what they would like to believe to be true, 
is one of the most important determining factors in world affairs, so says a political commentator. And that's absolutely true in the field of religion also. People persist with extraordinary stubbornness in believing what they want to believe to be true rather than what is actually true. Now, it's the purpose of Bible teachers to point out to the public the discrepancy between what they actually believe and the facts of the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. We've been pointing out that the pursuit of truth is essential according to the Bible. In 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10, Paul stated unequivocally that those who are perishing are those who do not love the truth. One must love the truth, the Apostle Paul said, in order to be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10. That would seem to require that Christians take very seriously their pursuit and search for truth in the Bible. There's always the possibility that one could be mistaken, that one has embraced a lie without knowing it. The devil's tricks, so the Bible says, are extremely cunning. I would have to say that the devil has successfully outwitted the human race. So says Revelation 12, verse 9. That text states that the devil is deceiving the entire world. We invite you to write to us for our free book on the kingdom of God. The title of the book is The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. Also our literature on what happens when you die. Remember to be searching the Scriptures daily and investigating the truth of what you hear. In your Bible study, remember that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood on the basis of his own Hebrew formation and foundation in the Old Testament. The great truths of the religion of Israel were the great truths of Jesus' teaching, and we must build on that great foundation. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.